Welcome back. Welcome back. We got my dude, Matt Maruka. Oh, big stretch. We got my dude, Matt Maruka, back on the podcast. I think this is three or four times he's been on. Um, what can I say? I mean, I've been calling this guy the, the boy genius since I started podcasting with him. I think he started podcasting as a guest on uh, a lot of the who's who in podcasting, Luke Stories, like Lifestylist Podcast. One of been must have been one of the first that I've heard him on uh, as an 18 year old. You know, really went through uh, what would seem like a midlife crisis in his early teens at the beginning of high school, and uh, with all things health going to hell and a whole bunch of shit, and really started. Uh, thankfully figured out very quickly that he wasn't going to find anything he needed to learn through uh, what academics could teach him. And so he started riffing on his own, diving deep into books like Health and Light by John Ott, Dr. Jack Cruz's work, and many others, and um, just really carved a path for himself. And it's really cool because, you know, even though this is he's been on a few times, we do cover the background of his trajectory, and I don't want to give that away. It's it's awesome. I think I think a lot of us, um, myself included, can come to the thing. This is the thing that matters. You know, you're like, holy shit, I changed my diet. Holy shit, this is it. This is the thing. You find uh, uh, BFR training. I've been training with blood flow restriction lately. Like, holy shit, this is the thing. Everybody's got to do BFR. And it's like, well, it's actually all the things. You know, and there are some really special the things that that stand out to us, you know, and, and for Matt, uh, it started with diet and then it progressed to, to different forms of light therapy and enhancing the circadian rhythm and the power of the sun and all sorts of cool shit that went flied right in the fucking face of what he was reading in school uh, on UV light and all sorts of other information. But but many, many little groundbreakers there started to get him to peel back the layer of what was being taught versus what actual health was. And from there, it continued to mature, and he got it hooked up into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And I think he's been to like nine or a dozen, something like that, of his seminars, advanced trainings, which is really remarkable. Um, he's got the training down. He just keeps going back for like a touch-up, just to be in the presence of a master and to really hone and to participate in something with a large group of people. There is something to that. You know, I, I talk with Matt a little bit about ayahuasca on this podcast because he doesn't have experience with it yet. But, you know, you can have a great experience by yourself. You can do Terrence McKenna's heroic dose by yourself, and that'll fucking change your worldview in a heartbeat. Five grams, dried psilocybin, dark room, night, safe space, go. <laughs> like, that That will work. But to share a space on ayahuasca with 20 people, maybe you've never met them, maybe you brought a couple of people you know, but you don't know the rest of them, or maybe it's a, a fucking hand-picked, curated group, like I did with my last one at Soltara. You're sharing in an opening with a group of people and that bonds you and you get to feel into other people's experiences. And sometimes you're not certain if it's yours or if it's someone else's and it's a whole thing and it's, it's, a, it's a different thing, but it is a special thing. And I think Matt speaks to that as well. You know, when you get into these higher levels of consciousness and awareness through Dispenza's practices, through meditation, through the breath, um, you know, they're doing this with a thousand, 1500 people in a whack, you know, in these big ass conference centers. And that's a massive opening. That's a massive portal to go through with that many people walking meditations with hundreds of people on the beach, all stepping into the same resonance. Uh, it's really potent stuff. So, uh, Matt is also a guy who, whenever I see him, I know we've got more to talk about. I know that we've 
we're both, you know, doing shit fairly constantly. Uh, we're, I mean, everyone is, but not everyone is constantly up-leveling or searching for new things or trying on to the degree that, that Matt and I try on things for size, you know? And I think when you find something that works, um, as Matt has at different stages of his life, he's really embedded himself in that. He's, he's discipled it. He's really uh, not just tried it on for size, but, but come to understand something from the inside out by making it his own and really spending time as an apprentice and, and an adept in these different skill sets. So uh, love having Matt on the show. Certainly won't be his last time. I'm sure in six months or a year, whenever we see each other next, he's going to have a whole host of other cool shit that he's into. So thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. Um, we'll have links to all his stuff in the show notes. We give him shout outs at the end of that. Raw Optics is one of his companies. They've been a longtime show sponsor. That They're the best in blue light blocking. So check all that in the, in the show notes. There are many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, share it with a friend, uh, anybody who's into this shit. And we, and we do get more into the science of spirit or the science of the quantum as, um, as Dispenza talks about it in this episode. But there's plenty of really nitty gritty nuts and bolts, you know, just this is how shit works. There's plenty of that that Matt offers and a gang of books. That's another reason I love Matt is because like myself, he's a very well-read person. And he gives credit where credit is due. He doesn't just pawn shit off on his own, as, as his own. He will tell you where he learned this information from and which books to read it in. And I love that about him because he's a, he's a phenomenal resource. So uh, again, books all linked in the show notes as well. You don't have to write shit down if you're driving or on an airplane. Just trust that it's in there. And uh, you'll be able to deep dive anything that we talk about on this podcast. Share this with a friend. Leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. At the end of the month, every single month this year, Organifi, one of our longest sponsors, will be hooking you up with my favorite product from them. And all you got to do is write a, write a review. One or two ways the show's helped you out in life on iTunes or Spotify. Leave your social media handle, your primary, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and that'll make it easy for my team to reach out to you guys and get you hooked up. And finally, support our sponsors. They make this show fiscally possible. These guys are hand-selected. They are my favorites. They're the best in the business in whatever they do. Uh, many of them, I've, I've told my team, you know, actually, damn near everyone on this other than Caldera who reached out to us, and I was like, these guys are fucking rad. Um, most of them are people that I go and reach out for, that I'm like, hey, find me these guys. Get me, get me hooked up with these guys. I love their products. And we get a lot of stuff thrown our way. I turn a shit ton down, probably 90% of it. But occasionally we get one that's like, holy shit, this is next level stuff. I love using it. Let's have them as a sponsor. So I, I believe in these sponsors. They are making amazing products, doing great things in the world. And I want to support these companies. When you support them, you support me directly and indirectly, but you support this show. And I appreciate that. We had a podcast with James Schmachtenberger recently from Neurohacker, and it was awesome. We dove into all things longevity Highly recommend you listen to that one. And we talked a bit about senescent cells, uh, also known as zombie cells. These are the worn out cells that no longer serve a useful function for our health, wasting our energy and nutritional resources on them. They tend to accumulate in our bodies as we age, leading to the aches. They can slow workout recoveries and sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Senolytic ingredients are the science backed to support our body's natural elimination of senescent cells. Our sponsor, Neurohacker, packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic. And you can take it just two days a month for fast, noticeable benefits and for a much better aging process. This is amazing. 
have actually designed something uh, that's not meant to be taken every day. It's meant to go and do deep work on your body, deep work on the internal cells of the body for 48 hours. And then you chill, you go back to being you. And over time, we are clearing out these senescent cells that no longer serve us. We're getting um, better cellular turnover and we're creating a healthier, younger body. And the way that we can do this is through these phenomenal science-backed ingredients that they pack in here, these seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients known to man. I've only had qualia for about two days for the last two months. And my body and energy levels feel about 15 years younger after just a couple of months of adding qualia senolytic to my diet. I love how easy it is to take. It's just two days a month to support massive aging benefits, which makes this an easy addition to my health regimen. Having more physical and mental energy for my family and friends is such a win in how I show up for those that I love. My productivity has increased. I don't know. I want to say it's doubled. I don't want to say attach a number to that, but it has increased because the truth is if I have more mental energy and I'm, I'm showing up as my best, that bleeds into all things. And I'm not just talking about productivity in work, how I show up to podcasts, the emails and all the bullshit that I got to do. I don't give a fuck how that, I mean, yes, there's this minimum effective dose there that I need to show up for that just to make sure that the engine's running. But my productivity at home has increased, meaning like I have energy to vacuum for my wife so she can take a break. I have energy to put more energy to play with the kids. I have more energy to show up as my best self. And that's really what it's all about. How can I maintain being my best self at 41? Uh, many of you listeners are in your late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. And if you've made it to your 40s, you're like, oh, I guess these old farts were right. Something slows down just a little bit. Uh, when you're in fifties, you get another good jolt like that. And beyond that, my dad's now 72. It just continues happening. So we can reverse that through a number of ways that, that James Schmachtenberger and I really deep dive in the podcast from fasting to hot and cold therapy and going to bed on time, all these things. And they're all great. And it's really nice to add a product like Qualia Senolytic that can come in and just aid in that whole transformation process with these phenomenal science backed senolytic ingredients. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding qualia senolytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com slash KKP. That's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash KKP for up to 50% off qualia senolytic. And as a listener of the Kyle Kingsbury podcast, use code KKP at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash KKP to try Qualia Senolytic with code KKP and start aging on your terms. We're also brought to you today by Caldera and the Lab. First impressions matter. There are no two ways around it. What's the first thing that someone notices about you? In most cases, it's your face and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already, it's time to put your best face forward. How do you do that? By adding in a skincare routine. It's not hard. You just don't have the right tools until now. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. Use our exclusive code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP to enjoy 20% off their best products. One thing I've noticed as I've aged is I get sunspots, but that's because I don't use, I don't use uh, sunblock or shit like that. I've always tanned very well. I rarely burn. But shaving my head is, is a kind of a thing, and I don't want to look like fucking granddad. Caldera Lab has helped me clean up a ton, especially around my eyes, which, which can get a little wrinkly from squinting, whether I was in California or out here in southern Texas. 
uh, a lot of time I'm outdoors, farming, doing these things where my skin can just get beat up from, uh, honestly, it was, it was weird when I moved to Texas. I looked down in Austin and I was like, oh, we're further south by a lot further south than San Diego. And I'm from Northern California. So it was a jump coming out here. And even though I've adjusted to the sun, my skin still takes a beating from it. And it's super important that I take care of this because I don't want to look like granddad. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products and the regimen leads off their product lineup. It's a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. The skincare world is heavily female-driven and has long been the wild, wild west for men. Whether men can't find the right brand or simply lack knowledge and understanding of it, skincare is something that requires attention. Luckily, men's skincare has never been easier with Caldera Lab and The Regimen. Inside this bundle, you'll find your skincare dream team, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts and ends your day. This face wash leaves all skin types refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer that hydrates your skin and absorbs it fast, leaving you with a matte finish so that you can start your day confidently. The good is your go-to at night before bed and clinically proven multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother, as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. In every drop of this serum, there are 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. Want to know what that means? Well, I have no clue, but it must be good though, right? They even have this eye serum called the Icon, and it addresses the three most common skin concerns around the eye. Fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. Y'all, I, I mean, I got to say right here, I mean, I've been using all this stuff now for over a month. The Icon is pretty fucking ridiculous how well it works. Uh, it goes on super smooth. It takes me fucking an extra 30 seconds a day to apply this shit. So it's not like I'm in there, you know, do my skincare lineup before I go to bed. Like, no, it's very easy to do. I get out of the shower, throw it on in the stages that they prompt me with. And it's very simple. And I look better. I mean, I look fucking damn good. Let's be honest. Caldera Lab is made with top tier ingredients and it is a great addition to your daily routine. This takes less than a minute, morning and night. And it's here to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines and signs of aging. All right, check this out. 20% off everything with our code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP. That's 20% off at C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com slash KKP by using code KKP at checkout. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. All right, we're also brought to you today by my boys at Cured Nutrition and girls at curednutrition.com slash KKP. Cured Nutrition has a sleep bundle now. We all know that a full night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our overall health. Cured Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling Zen, I've been telling you guys about this for months, and most potent CBN, is the answer to ensuring you get that full night of sleep every night. Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, cannabinoids, and adaptogens, while CBN is a lesser well-known cannabinoid found in the hemp plant. These supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, REM sleep and non-REM sleep, better known as deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of CBN. Together, the CBD and CBN create a synergistic whole body effect. When it starts to kick in, you'll notice every inch of your body soften into a deeper state of relaxation, as if you're laying beneath the comfort of a weighted blanket. Once you're asleep, Zen is there to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM, deep sleep, and into REM, and back again. Some people can't fall asleep, others can't stay asleep, and then there are those that fall asleep and stay asleep, but still struggle to spend enough time in each sleep stage. And this is super common if you get a, a tracker and you're like, well, Aura said this, Whoopwat said that. 
No matter what is keeping you from true rest and restoration, the Sleep Bundle is your solution. Think of it as a one-two punch for your body and brain reset. I've been loving this stuff. Uh, I actually just intuited this before they combined it. I just started combining this a couple of weeks ago. And it's pretty bananas how awesome it is. I take it about an hour before bed. You can take it 30 to 45 minutes or 60 minutes before bed. And uh, you know the reason for that is I don't actually give myself enough time to eat before sleep due to jujitsu. I'm coaching my son and uh, helping out with the other coaches there. And we get done. We eat now during the week, four nights a week, around 6.15, 6.30. And I'm in bed at 8.30. That's not the window that I normally need. But with that, I'll take it at 8.30. That way I've had at least two hours of digesting food. Uh, optimally, that'd be three or four. And from there, I can feel it right as it starts to kick in at 9.30. It's like a, ah, oh, there's, like there's an opening. Like, oh shit, I feel good. I feel relaxed. I feel tired. And I can go to sleep very quickly. Right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners. You can grab Zen and CBN in the sleep bundle for an extra 20% off of Cured's already discounted price by visiting www.curednutrition.com slash KKP and using the coupon code KKP at checkout. With this extra discount, you're getting 36% off the regular price. Yep, that's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash KKP and coupon code KKP at checkout to save an extra 20%. Last but not least, we're brought to you by my homie, Mark Bell at mindbullet.com. Introducing Mark Bell's Mind Bullet, the ultimate Kratom supplement for enhanced focus and mental clarity. Are you looking for a natural way to boost your cognitive function and improve your mental performance? Look no further. Mind Bullet by Mark Bell is here to revolutionize the way you approach mental focus and clarity. It's packed with the power of premium Kratom extract, Mind Bullet is formulated to provide you with sustained energy, heightened focus, and enhanced mental clarity without the jitters or crash associated with other stimulants. Kratom, a botanical herb native to Southeast Asia, has been used for centuries, if not millennia, for its natural properties that support cognitive function and provide a sense of calm and well-being. What sets Mind Bullet apart is its premium quality and unique formulation. Each capsule or extract is carefully crafted with the finest Kratom sourced from trusted suppliers ensuring the highest standards of purity and potency. Mark Bell, a world-renowned strength athlete and wellness expert, has personally curated this supplement to deliver maximum benefits for mental performance and focus. Whether you need to stay sharp at work, crush your workouts, or excel in your studies, MindBullet is the ultimate tool to unlock your brain's full potential. Experience the cognitive-enhancing benefits of MindBullet with heightened focus and concentration, improved mental clarity and cognitive function, enhanced mood and well-being, long-lasting energy without the crash, premium quality and purity. Don't settle for mediocre mental performance. Upgrade your cognitive function with Mark Bell's Mind Bullet and take your productivity, focus, and mental clarity to the next level. Order your bottle of Mind Bullet today and unleash your power of optimal mental performance. Mindbullet.com, code KKP for 20% off. Look, I'm, I'm running Mind Bullet right now. That's how smooth that was. That was a one and done, one and done take. On the ad, uh, I love this. I can't speak highly about it enough. Kratom is one of those things. It, it is a long-lasting plant, med- long-standing plant medicine. And uh, as a plant medicine, it should be treated with respect and reverence. Just willy-nilly take this shit as, <laughs> all day long. You can, you can have enough to where you actually feel nauseous. But at the right dose, combined with other, th- you can combine it with anything. The, this is such a phenomenal tool because it's working on separate pathways in the brain, separate from caffeine, separate from nootropics, separate from nicotine supplements and tobacco. And yet all of these things that I just mentioned combine very well with this. So it's an excellent piece. It's a cornerstone foundational piece 
in the stack of optimizing mental performance, physical performance, uh, I feel a much better mind-body connection when I'm working out or even doing yoga on this. So I'm foam rolling. I want mind bullet. It just opens up my body, allows me to breathe into the space a lot easier. <sighs> I can relax and get the sticky parts to open up after hard training. Check it out. Mind bullet. That's M-I-N-D-B-U-L-L-E-T.com and use KKP at checkout for 20% off. Without further ado, my brother, Matt Maruka. You're good, Guapo. We got, we got Guapo Man here at the farm. Just did a nice little little tour, a little walk. It's nice because uh, quite a few people, I shouldn't say this about my guests. I have plenty of guests who would walk the land and get sweaty with me, but I don't often ask, you know, pre-podcast. And I was like, oh, Matt's here. We'll fucking walk the land, get sweaty, jump in the pool, and then do the damn thing. So uh, that was cool. And then it was great because I was like, I'd already done a couple laps and with Guapo, and I was thinking, this will be nice because I can catch up with you. I haven't had a chance to catch up pre-podcast. And um, you, like maybe a hand, I don't know about a handful, you like many of the guests that have been on the show, every time I meet you, you've never stopped doing shit. So like you're, you're constantly on the path, constantly doing cool shit. So catch up time's awesome, especially pre-podcast to know where we're going to steer the ship. And all I did was blab about the farm the whole time. So I didn't get to, I didn't get to hear anything. So. Needed, man. There's so much to say. I mean, probably it's probably less than half of what there is to share. Probably much less. There's so much on the land. Yeah. You could take okay. all day. You could walk me through, you know. The- no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. But it is, it is nice now that I get to hear uh, and get caught up with you. Last time we talked uh, about a ton of cool shit. I think that was their second or third time on the show. Um, you had just made your way back from Russia and um, had some cool experiences there. Um, fill us in on what you've been up to because you've been doing a lot. You had just, I think you just had your second Joe Dispenza advanced seminar that you had been to as well. So I know that's been a big piece of this. Uh, not something I often talk about on the podcast, but something that I find myself teaching again and again in Fit for Service. It's like, if, you know, somebody had read like uh, the placebo effect or breaking the habit of being yourself back in the day. And I'm like, well, becoming supernatural is way better. And by, you know, like <laughs> there's online courses and meditations and, and just filling them in on stuff. But um, uh, I myself have not been to one of the advanced classes yet. Aubrey and Caitlin have, and Caitlin said it absolutely fucking changed your life. I think Aubrey was already on that path uh, in many regards and has no issues manifesting. So <laughs> he was, it was more of the same for him, but I think for many people, um, it's groundbreaking and what it's illuminating to, and then I'll shut the hell up. What it's illuminating to is, is actually how we work with consciousness itself, how we work with spirit itself, right? Or the quantum as he would call it. And I think that's where we start to get uh, the woo-woo starts to hit, the rubber hits the road with science, you know, and we start to see like, there's some trackable shit here. Um, and it's pretty remarkable, right? It's nothing shy of miracles. Like, so I think that that's really incredible. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into it. Uh, into that aspect with you. Um, but fill us in, brother. Where you been? What you been doing? And, and, and let's take the deep dive. Man, well, first of all, thank you for showing me the farm. It's amazing what you guys are building. For me, everything's been great. I feel really blessed. I've had uh, several years since I started my company just free to travel, free to explore. And you know, I had this amazing experience where I learned about diet because when I was younger, I had some health challenges. I was reading everything I could and diet led to stricter diets and stricter diets and then led to getting you know into that orthorexic obsessive mindset about diets and just always looking for the next thing like this can't this can't be it there's got to be more than just you know the autoimmune paleo diet and this and that but at the time 
I was following this information like it was the, the truth from the guru, you know, whoever was teaching about the, the information. And then I learned about light. And that was a huge evolution, I would say, like a paradigm shift for me because we're not just these chemical beings. There's actually energy behind life. And that's one of the most fascinating things I ever learned. There's a great book called The Body Electric by Robert O. Becker. It's kind of one of the classics in energy medicine. And in, in the intro, I recommend anybody even just read the intro and the outro to that book because he basically frames it and says, listen, for hundreds of years since science basically became a concept and people studied life, way back in the day, there was this, this group of scientists called the mechanists who basically believed that biology is mechanistic, it's chemical, it's, it's very simple and you can reduce it down to the chemicals and that's it. And then there was this other group called the vitalists and the vitalists basically said, well, there's gotta be something more to life than just chemicals. There has to be something deeper that's organizing it all. But in the 1600s, 1700s, they didn't have equipment that was sensitive enough to measure energy, really. They just could see chemicals because they're bigger, they're easier to perceive. And so the mechanists continually won out and they even won out more recently with the advent of penicillin around 100 years ago when there were all these other treatments for, you know, for health and wellness, for treating different diseases. There was for example, acupuncture, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional plant medicines, heliotherapy. Use, you know, these guys in Switzerland use sunlight to heal really sick people. And then penicillin comes out and they think, oh my gosh, all of the biggest killers of the time, all the bacterial infections, we can literally use a pinch of white powder and cure that. So it was like the ultimate triumph of medicine in their mind. We basically solved it and we can move on. And Around that time, there's the interesting story I imagine you've heard where Rockefeller had this idea, well, I've captured the oil industry. Why don't I move into pharmaceuticals? And he- I haven't told this story much because I've seen it in different documentaries and it's verified. it's been verified so many fucking times that it's like how people can't put two and two together on this is mind blowing, but, but please illuminate and I'll act like I don't know shit. Yeah, this well, is great. So, so an, <laughs> you know, I have even a cursory understanding I think is enough for people, but basically he hired a guy named Abraham Flexner who wasn't a, a scientist. Uh, basically he was just a, you know, a journalist or something like this. And, and Rockefeller hired him to basically write this report for Congress and say, listen, all of this other stuff is not, really evidence-based. So they're basically making the case that unless you can do a, a clinical trial, you know, placebo-controlled drug trial, which they still do, that's the main basis for modern Western medicine, unless you can do that with a drug, then it's really not evidence-based. And I would say evidence-based is a euphemism for, you know, we have uh, millions of dollars to fund these studies, and if you don't, then your stuff's woo-woo, unscientific. Yeah, they call it alternative. Exactly, alternative medicine. And so they actually basically threw all of that out. And to this day, until really recently, you wouldn't even have a traditional doctor prescribing acupuncture or anything like that because it was considered not evidence-based medicine, right? Alternative. And so in a way, the mechanistic perspective of life won out because you know things were pretty good for that period. Well, then we have this issue in the United States, and uh, I meant to mention to you earlier, I, I recently listened to RFK on the Rogan podcast, and that's mind-blowing. I was sitting there like, finally, somebody's talking about this on a mainstream level. And he explains very, very well stuff I read about now almost 10 years ago when I was just getting into this, how basically all of the main regulatory bodies in the United States are captured by the industry. So EPA is captured by oil and gas and coal. You know, you have the FCC supposed to regulate regulate telecom. Instead, they just blow the doors open for telecom to do whatever they want, 5G, you name it. You know, the FDA is obviously captured by 
the pharmaceutical industry. The FDA is the pharmaceutical industry. In fact, it is. And the pharmaceutical industry is the FDA. If you, you can see memes of this that are completely verifiable of who has switched, you know, like, like, uh, former lead at FDA becomes CEO for such and such company, Merck, fucking Pfizer, whatever, you know, former lead uh, board member from Pfizer steps in as lead board member for, for FDA. Like it's just fucking the merry, the, the musical chairs game. It's comical. Yeah. yeah. And same with the FCC and telecommunications. So the head guy, one of the head guys in the industry became the head regulator, head of the FCC, chairman of the FCC. And that's obviously a bit of an issue. And they actually use that to push through 5g and everything. So anyway, um, what happened with this capture is that obviously as, as RFK outlines very nicely, you know, they blew the doors open for vaccine production, for example, right? And, and, and it happens in every industry. But so hum, you know, humans in the States in particular, where this is the case, you know, in Europe, they have a lot of issues. But one thing that I think Europe's a little bit better about is that they are protecting people in, in certain respects. Now, in particular with food and things like yeah, exactly, that. Exactly, yep. right? There's plenty of other issues in Europe. Uh, you know, the mindset that there's really high taxes and it's more of a socialist type of culture. But that being said, they have certain things right, right? The food's a little, you know, generally better, less GMO. Uh, even with, for example, wine production in Europe, it's generally illegal to irrigate wine. I found this fascinating because when you irrigate wine, you increase the yield. You know, we were talking about, you know, rain determines the yield out here. But when you do the same with wine, you can increase the production, but it, it dilutes essentially the quality of the wine, right? So, in Europe, it's actually, for the most part, still illegal to irrigate, and all the wine is dry farmed, so rainwater only. And the roots go deeper into the ground, and they so capture they the water more nutrients. Table, yeah. The water table, they capture more nutrients from the soil. Anyway, so really interesting stuff. So as this happened, there was this massive explosion of chronic illnesses in the United States, and you can't treat chronic illnesses with penicillin. So I think it's really cool to see that now, less than 100 years since penicillin, there's now this massive search going on again for people who are interested in health because they've gotten sick. And I've spoken to multiple people, billionaires recently who I've spent time with who, for example, have some sort of chronic illness. And you know, no matter how much money they could throw at it with traditional medicine, they don't have any answers. They just say, you're gonna have to live with this. So when Becker explains this, mechanists versus vitalists, for me, it's such a beautiful way to frame a whole conversation because for the, for the longest time and even still today, the mainstream view that everybody keeps sharing, for the, not everybody, but in our world, it's the opposite, right? But in the mainstream, it's mechanism, 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 evidence-based medicine, drugs, et cetera. But the vitalists, those who thought and understood that there was more to life than just chemicals were correct in the end. And Becker showed this in his book, how when he would, he would amputate salamanders because he was trying to figure out, well, how can they regenerate a whole limb? Maybe we could learn something about ourselves from that because he, he did residency during the war, one of the World War, World War II in Manhattan. He's lots of amputations, you know, and he was thinking, well, how in the world can a salamander regenerate? Maybe we could do that too with technology. They actually, on a dog, they regenerated an entire limb and it was the first time it was done in mammals. They did this using that technology he had developed, but it Interestingly enough, this is a whole tangent, but it was stifled because his uh, predecessor, or I should say successor, his protege, uh, Andrew Marino, started questioning, well, wait a minute, we have this super delicate electrical system in our body. Maybe, just maybe, these high voltage transmission lines that put off these fields that stretch a mile because they're carrying you know, 750,000 volts of electricity, maybe that could affect these delicate systems that are operating at 
fractions of fractions of the intensity. And sure enough, they found all these effects. And then when they went to present the, the evidence in court cases defending these people, the judges actually and the juries would actually favor them because they seemed like they knew what they were talking about. But the legal standard at the time for admitting scientific evidence into the court of law was that if it isn't generally accepted by the scientific community, it can't be used as evidence. And so that, that this is all just so people understand because science and law are two totally different disciplines. And the, the reason that standard existed was from the early 1900s, somebody was uh, apparently guilty of murder. It appeared that they were guilty. The evidence was stacked very much in that direction. And then the scientist that this guy hired or his team hired brought in this sort of lie detector box that was pretty obviously to everybody involved a, a farce, kind of a, a lie it, in, in and of itself. And the judge had to figure out a way to, to throw that evidence out of the courtroom because, of course, they say, well, I'm credentialed in this and that way and I've developed this lie detector box. But everybody's like, listen, this guy's pretty clearly guilty. And so anyway, uh, the, the judge then his last name is Fry. He created this this ruling that is, as I just said, if they can't, if it's not generally accepted by the scientific community, we're going to throw it out. So the slide detector box wasn't. So that was an easy way to say, let's throw this out. Now the problem comes 60, 70 years later when they have these court cases around EMF. These scientists, Marino and, and Becker, who wrote The Body Electric, had actually done authentic research on this. It still wasn't generally accepted though because it just wasn't in the mainstream yet. It was new, but it was very well done science. They fought and fought and fought in the legal battles. Ultimately, they lost over and over again. The electrical power companies won out, and that laid the ground for the development of cell phones, microwaves, and all the stuff that's kind of permeated our environment. And years later, there was a court case that was uh, actually a very emotional subject. There was a woman who had taken a morning sickness drug during her pregnancy, and her child came out with severe birth defects. And uh, the family name was Daubert. And so Daubert sued Merrill Dow Pharmaceutical. And this is a Supreme Court case in 98 or 99. And basically, the Supreme Court told the team, listen, it's pretty clear that this caused this issue. Now, Merrill Dow, using the Fry standard, could have hired, and they did, many scientists from all these different institutions with credentials say, listen, I'm from Yale, Stanford, Harvard, you name it, Princeton. And we don't see how this could have caused this. It's not generally accepted, right? And if they were to go off the Fry standard, they would have basically lost. But it was so obvious that the court said, listen, we're going to rule in your favor, but you guys need to come up with an explanation for how we can rule that, you know, frame this properly for a, a new standard. So that legal team went to this guy, Marino, who had more experience than anybody else in this interplay between law and science. He was a PhD and a JD. So he had both degrees, law and, and, and science. And basically... He said to them, listen, you need to get the, the Supreme Court to understand that scientific knowledge and knowledge in general isn't the result of people agreeing on it. That'd be like saying you and I agree that, you know, that uh, chlorine is good for you and, and then it's true. No, like it's the result of the methods used to obtain it is what he said, the scientific methods. So these, in other words, these researchers shouldn't just say I'm from Yale and so you should believe me because I'd said, say this and this. Actually... They have to explain in a court case why they know, how they know what they know, and, and why it's true. And then actually the jury gets to make up their mind. And so this is the Daubert standard that took over. Now it's interesting, and RFK mentioned this, so when he was sharing this on the podcast, I was thinking, this is so big, bigger than I think most people realize that this is now on Rogue and it's going mainstream. RFK talked about what's called a Daubert hearing. So what they implemented was before a scientist can come up, because any scientist with a lawyer behind them can 
pretty easily persuade a jury about anything, right? If they have this credential and this and that. So they actually go to the judge first with the jury not present and they have to present the evidence to the judge and the judge gets to decide and assuming hopefully the judges are relatively moral, uncorrupt people, they get to actually say, yeah, listen, we're gonna allow this to be presented to the jury. So it's a Daubert hearing of the science and then the scientists can actually present the information and the jury gets to make a decision based on the evidence themselves, which is how it should be, I think, for if you're gonna have a jury judge on a case, then they should essentially have the ability to kind of feel who's right. So anyway, that was the, that is the status of, of the legal system in the United States and its interplay with science. And for me, that was a really interesting thing. So anyway, back to, back to my story. This is something I was learning about. I was reading this book, uh, Andrew Marino wrote a book. So the successor of Becker, he wrote a book called Going Somewhere, Truth About a Life in Science. I recommend everyone who's interested read that book because it explains for those who are open-minded to this, they can understand actually how it works and have the language to you know, tell their family and friends about how corrupt the scientific industry can be and how it can also be good. But for those who are skeptical, you, you can actually see how it, how it works, the, the way that the, the FDA, for example, is so corrupt. You know, they had really great treatments that they were trying to push through using electricity and they were just constantly rejected without cause. Anyway, because they threatened the paradigm, let's say. So I had all, all this amazing experience, this exposure and thought, I was like, in, in my own journey, I thought, well, light, this must be the thing. You know, I found it, but then time went on and uh, I was running my business, traveling the world, you know, I had this freedom. I had, I remember reading the four hour work week from Tim Ferriss and thinking, man, I'm kind of doing this now. I get to go where I want, do what I want. And physically I had felt significantly better. You know, my symptoms had basically gone away from all this stuff I was doing between the diets, the light. But then I got to this point round about 2020, where, you know, around the pandemic, where I still was feeling like internally something was off, like feeling empty essentially, right? And I was asking myself, well, I'm doing all the right stuff from a circadian rhythm pers- perspective, from a light perspective, right? <laughs> I'm getting the right light. My, my neurotransmitters should be working correctly in my brain. My hormones should all be dialed in and I'd get tests and everything seems to be, you know, within healthy ranges and everything. But just at a spiritual level, I was feeling like something's missing, like I'm feeling empty. And that's when I started to look deeper into Dispenza. I had looked at, I had read Ram Dasby here now years before, and it was a mind opening book, but I kind of went back to business as usual, right? I had uh, been exposed to some really amazing spiritual people, you know, and I knew that there was this other world, but I hadn't made the jump for myself. So I finally started looking into Dr. Dispenza and what he was teaching, and he was taking the science to a whole new level of how we can not only do things in our external environment, but we can actually cultivate our inner light. And that's the way I, I describe it. So the light diet, when I was first sharing this information, it's, it's an ev- evolution. It was all about outer light and external light. But for me, I realized the most important light for us to cultivate is our inner light. Because at the end of the day, if you can make yourself, I believe if we can make ourselves strong from within and resilient from within, the outside world can't necessarily touch us, or at least if it touches us, we're prepared to handle it in a much more resilient way. And so for me, that's been really the journey. And the beauty for me of it is that I actually read this science when I was more skeptical. I read and understood, okay, we are electromagnetic. You know, we can say we're beings of light. Light is electromagnetic waves. We're electromagnetic beings. We're beings of light. The research says that. There's other books. There's a great book, if anybody wants to read it, called Light Shaping Life 
biophotons in biology and medicine. It's like a textbook for those who are in the scientific mind, but it actually explains how our cells communicate with light. The stimulus for such a simple process as, or a basic foundational process as a cell division, you know, the way we grow and expand and evolve is little pulses of light. And they found this out by basically using the root of an onion and having it basically next to another cell. And if they put a glass slide between this cell's uh, division process wouldn't be stimulated. But then when they put quartz, which transmits ultraviolet light, the cell process would happen even with this, this material in between. And so they thought, okay, well, it's definitely light, something that's invisible that we can't see, but it's energy, it's moving, it's stimulating this process. And quartz transmits ultraviolet light. So they know, okay, our cells are communicating with ultraviolet light, which ironically is what they say causes cancer and all this bad stuff. Anyway, so for me, that's been the, uh, the journey and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm diving more and more into lately. So that's, that's been... <laughs> that's been my, my That's backdrop dope. yeah I've been fucking brother. I've been wanting to jump in here so much but please, I also want to fucking too. Go. thank you brother yeah I think um, Rockefeller purchased the American Medical Association and I can I can say that pretty definitively now uh, you can find that out from a number of different resources but it is it. that's when shit really shifted right and and you know the it was a full court press on anything that wasn't um, backed from the big oil, you know? So if we couldn't make this a petrochemical pharmaceutical industry, couldn't profit from it, that was going to be outcast. And there was a lot of medical doctors that were into new medicine and, and uh, new science and the development of new drugs, but also relied heavily on the things that had worked in the past for them. And they, re- they threw a fucking fit, rightfully so. Like, hey, I'm down to try this new shit, but don't throw this other arm out. It works. And they were cast out as pseudoscientists and doctors and some of them even imprisoned. Uh, There's black and white footage, video footage of doctors getting fucking thrown in jail, just, just, you know, handcuffed back of the car kind of thing. So it's pretty fucked up uh, diving deep into that. And, and take that for what it's worth. You know, if you want to call that conspiracy bullshit, that's fine. But um, there, there is a, there's a trail of breadcrumbs there. Another piece that you brought up that's super important is um, I, I love the books that you mentioned. I haven't read them all, but uh, Body Electric's phenomenal. Um, one that I'll add to that is The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg. And I think that that is such a, a phenomenal expose of what different frequency technology has done, right? And what we've seen. And, and you can't, you know, there's some of the main arguments are like, uh, what do they say? Uh, causation on it, like correlation does not equal causation. You can you can get into that, but let's just understand. There's some pretty big coincidences throughout human history of when radio frequency was rolled out, or when different technologies are rolled out that equated to people getting sick. And that doesn't mean that coronavirus comes from 5G, right? It also doesn't mean that 5G is off the hook and it's making people healthy. It's not. Um, and it also doesn't mean that we're fucked, right? And another point that you wanted to make on the outer light versus the inner light is super important because if you look, and they mentioned this in The Invisible Rainbow, how is it that some people are relatively unaffected by Wi-Fi and everything and some people are fucking crippled by it? Well, that's the argument on the outer light versus the inner light. You know, if I can control the variables externally, wearing raw optics and different things like that, I'm getting adequate sunlight, I'm putting the right food in my body, I'm going to bed on time, my circadian rhythm set, I may be challenging my body in different ways via heat and cold and, and different um, hormetic stressors. All those are the, you know, those are the lifestyle choices that I can check off that help the epigenetic on-off switches. But it's still external in a way. And then I have this internal cultivation, right? But if I'm doing those things, they're affecting the internal as well. 
So that, that builds resiliency, right? For and there sure. are genetic components to everything, you know? So, so it could be a genetic thing on why some people just get fucking hammered, um, sick, you know, uh, allergies, you name it. All the things start to go, autoimmune disease. A lot of these things start to go haywire if they're in a high, a high energy zone uh, versus somebody else who, you know, maybe, honestly for me, like I sleep fine in hotel rooms. I got biogeometry now and I fucking feel way different wearing it. You know, like I feel 100% uh, better when I'm on an airplane with a biogeometry necklace than when I'm not. And I have no affiliation with them. I'm going to have them on uh, Dr. Ibrahim Kareem when he finishes his next book and his daughter Doria are going to come on this podcast and really deep dive that. Um, but, but I think there's a lot there on the outer and the inner light. And, and it is as basic as sunlight and as basic as food and as basic as sleep and exercise. You know, the last four doctors you'll ever need. And it's also as detailed as the shit that we're going to dive into with Dispenza's work. You know, like we're actually putting the mind to, to harness the attention towards something and the cultivation of something new, right? And then how does that extrapolate um, when I realize the steering wheel's in my hands and has been in my hands, how do I then steer the ship? So I'd love for you to break down. I know we talked to, touched on it a little bit in the last podcast, but it's been a long time. Break down some of the key implements that you've started to draw on from Dispenza and how that started to shift your understanding of reality and your understanding of what's possible. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I really appreciate everything you've added here. So I, for me, my own story is so, it's so relevant obviously to me, but I think it can be relevant for other people. And there's a lot of resonance when I share this on podcasts, because I think a lot of people are going through very similar things, trying all the diets and everything, right? And so I had done so much from the external perspective, right? I went beyond the diets. I dove into the light. I was doing all the stuff right. And I was so, so I was from, you know, to your point, I was supporting myself from the external environment, but I was still struggling so much in my mind and in the way I was feeling every day. So I've had to come to the conclusion since then that even if we're doing everything right from the external perspective, if our internal, let's say, compass is spinning in circles, we're going to struggle no matter what. And so the external, I think, can always add on top of a healthy foundation internally, but we have to have this internal foundation. Otherwise, we could do everything, but if we're constantly searching, you know, Ben Greenfield put it really well for me one time. He said to me, you know, man, you know, as much as all of this stuff is so valuable, the biohacks, the ice bath, so many people are just searching and searching and searching for the next biohack, the next thing that's going to give them that hit. And ultimately, I think what he was implying, what I took from it is that everybody's ultimately looking for God or some greater sense of fulfillment, some greater sense of connection. So when it came to Dispenza, I was one night, uh, you know, I had for the first time in almost four years uh, of starting my company and traveling, it was three and a half years, I had been doing this and building this up and meeting some amazing people like yourself, meeting some really, uh, you know, let's say celebrities, athletes, people who... I had never imagined I would connect with much less so so quickly in the beginning of the business. And so from that sort of superficial perspective, I was thinking, yeah, like, ah, oh, you know, it, you would think that I have it all made. You know, people say, oh, you're living the dream. It sounds like you're living the dream. But I would look in, inwards and say, well, I don't feel like it. You know, if this is the dream, then I don't want this. I want something else. So... I took a week out of my life. I went to this retreat, right? And Joe says, he, he says he doesn't want to make it about him. He wants it to be about the work and about the science and about you, about us, you know, do everybody on their path. And so I took this time, I went in and there's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of lectures of great information to basically explain 
how the science supports the fact that we are greater than we think, more powerful than we know, more unlimited than we could ever imagine, and how we can actually tap into that. And so, you know, I had, there's all these lectures, and for anyone who hasn't been to these events, as you mentioned, you haven't, it's, it's a really cool experience because you have 1,500 to 2,000 people all there, open mind, open heart, ready to open up. Uh, many people who are super skeptical, many people who are not. I met people who are corn farmers from Nebraska, like I shit you not, people who are just your average person, right? Not anything doctor, scientist, lawyer, biohacker, uh, plant medicine shaman or psychonaut, just normal people literally who drive tractors for a living. And they're like, I know that there's more. I want to, and I'll still do my job, but I want to bring more to it. And so, or maybe move to a new career, whatever. But so I, I had this amazing experience. I was doing all these meditations. It took me so much effort to, <laughs> to, to leave my laptop back at my Airbnb where I was staying. Like, pardon me, I was like, I'll bring it over. The first two or three days, I was like, I'll bring my laptop. I didn't do any work because I was full on at the event. Finally, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna leave my laptop back at home and <laughs> surrender a little bit and open up and you know, realize that everything's gonna be fine and, and it always works out. So one night we were walking on the beach because uh, Dr. Joe started doing these walking meditations to help people basically practice staying conscious with their eyes open, right? If you can do it with your eyes closed, great. But then the, the real practice is, can we do this stuff with our eyes open? And so we're doing this and I'm, it's a really cool experience. You have a thousand plus people walking on a beach as sort of a, an exalted version of themselves walking. Like, how would you walk if you were healed? How would you how would you think, how would you feel if you were healed? And so there are people who have um, all sorts of severe illnesses in wheelchairs who actually throughout even just a week step up, get on canes, crutches, and eventually are even walking, even running. Uh, I've seen these people. It's, it's almost unbelievable. And I've had people ask, oh yeah, don't they just pay those people? I'm like, I don't think <laughs> there's too many of them, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, so I had this experience that night. First time I went to one of these events, I've been to, I think like nine now. I keep going back because I enjoy it so much. Damn. Yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's like, you know, my version that's, of going on a plant medicine. Uh, that's a trip. fucking testimonial though. That really <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, and I, oh, have you done plant medicines yet? Uh, only once I had a ceremony with San Pedro years and years ago. All right. And I remember so you it dipped your up. feet in the shallow end. There's yeah, nothing, I'm not going to shit on that experience, but, but I, I want to hear... I want to hear how this compares to something like a trip to Soltara. Well, yeah. Down the road. I wouldn't be the guy. Down, yeah, that's ready. right. Exactly. So that being said, I ha- and I can tell, I'll tell you about a few of the experiences I've had that I think are worth sharing. But I, so this night, I remember feeling so much love. Like at one moment, you know, I'm walking and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I can't feel it. I can't feel connected. What's going on? I have people here having brain orgasms, heart orgasms over here. And I'm screaming and I'm like, what's, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And I finally just thought like, well, why don't I just try getting over myself? Just something clicked. And then I just looked at all these people around me and I was like, gosh, I just remember feeling so connected to everyone. I was like, I love these people. These are people, are, these are my people, right? These are amazing people like you, people who are out there trying to bring the, something higher to the world, right? And just express themselves in the best way they can. And everybody's like, even the person who's mean on the, you know, on the street or on social media, like I've found a new level of compassion when I would react. And I still react. Everybody reacts. I think uh, Joe says the question is, how long are you going to react for? Right. But basically I, I opened up, I felt this amazing feeling. And by the end of this walk, I felt so much love. I felt so whole that I actually wanted to call all of my family members just to tell them how much I loved them. Just, it felt so natural. And I felt this just unbelievable feeling and something just clicked for me in that moment. And I thought, well, 
You know, I've been learning about these energy centers or chakras as they've been called for thousands of years. The scientific name we could say is energy centers. But I've been learning about these energy centers and I understood that most of the issues I had as a kid, health issues were related to my gut, my sort of second or third energy center, depending on how you look at it. And I thought, well, when you live in chronic fear, survival and stress, you basically close off that center. You know, you, you sap all of your vital energy, which flows through the spinal column and you put it into survival and pushing and forcing and you know, struggling and competing and stressing. And there, no matter how much I could do externally, there wouldn't have been energy for healthy digestion because I was constantly in survival. And you know, at an intellectual level, we can easily understand that. Like if you're in survival, you're not in a rest and digest mode. And I had realized that I was living so much in survival and I thought maybe the reason I had so many gut issues wasn't because of all the stuff I was blaming, the food, the chemicals, the GMOs, the EMFs, the light, the artificial light, all this stuff. Maybe it was just the fact that I was living in constant stress and it just somehow made sense to me in that moment. Like I could have done all this stuff, but I had to fix that fundamental issue. That's not to say that all these toxins and things weren't significantly contributing to these issues, but I thought I have friends who grew up in similar environments and this and that, but they didn't have the same issues, but maybe they didn't have quite the same experience of the world. They maybe had their own challenges, right? But this was my situation, what I was going through. And so it made sense to me, well, I'm gonna do all the other stuff, but I had better get my system into coherence and start really practicing. You know, there's this blessings of the energy center meditation that Dr. Joe teaches and people can go online and purchase it. And it's it's so valuable. And they've done this for thousands of years, even in traditional yoga. Um, Kriya yoga is an old, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda and the autobiography of yogi. One of the Kriya yoga meditations, the, a friend of mine's a Kriya yogi and he said he's sort of authorized to share this bit. Normally you get initiated and you get the full, uh, the full list and the full outline of all the meditations you can do. But he, he told me, you know, I can share this one with you. I'm, I, this is something we're able to share. And it's just basically a very similar concept. You put your energy on each center and actually try to make it coherent. So to your point about, uh, or your question about Dispenza, one of the most valuable things I've learned is this idea that if we put our attention on our different energy centers, we can actually give them more coherence, bring them into balance. And this is something that's, you know, it's not just like, one person who's talking about this as much science as there is behind it. It's something that's been practiced for thousands of years. So now what I try to do when I meditate, there's two different kinds of meditations I like to do, but one is going through each center and trying to put attention on it, right? The, the old school way of doing it, uh, as I was taught by this, this yogi friend of mine who, who lived in India for six years in a monastery, was going to be a monk. Um, his masters ended up basically, let's say the way it it works is that God has this idea and the master sort of intuited it. It's not like they decide, but they actually intuited that he was meant to be a family man. So they told him one time, hey, listen, you'll meet your wife in three months. He was like, what? I was, I was ready to be a monk. So anyway, really great guy, great friend of mine, but he explained you that- fucking meet the wife? I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. She, she showed That's up exactly dope, when they dude. said three months later. She showed up in <laughs> his so clinic cool. and he was doing his uh, normal pulse test as they do in Ayurveda. They put their three fingers here on the wrist and they- they're able to measure your different energy channels. It's, it's kind of unbelievable, but I, I believe it from an energy perspective, right? But they can tell you so much about your vitals and the mucus in your system and your masculine, feminine, Ida Pingala channels and everything. Anyway, and he, he, he said, he told me he felt that and immediately he knew that this was the woman they were talking about. And then <laughs> it's a really uh, sort of funny extension of that is that she was head over heels uh, as the story goes. And uh, he, so he's a big doctor in Russia. He's not public, but uh, he's from Russia and had lived in India many years and now travels the world and works with a lot of really high level people. But basically she sent in her mom 
and just to kind of scope him out, right? It's like, what do you think about this guy? He does the pulse test and he asks her like, are you uh, his mother? Like he knew just from the energy <laughs> and he kind of knew what she was at, at, you know, getting at. So it was very funny. Anyway, so the way that that uh, version of blessing of the energy centers goes is going from your crown chakra all the way down and then bringing the energy back up rather than just starting from the base and bringing it up. I think there all, there's value in, in every way of doing it, but just taking time to create that coherence. And Joe, he said one time that, uh, you know, he would travel all over the world constantly because that's what he does, right? Just spreading this message and he found that he was just exhausted. And that by doing this, he could actually, you know, no matter what he did, he would be fatigued because it's, it's pretty draining. But to create this coherence, it actually worked. And I thought, oh, I should try this too. I'm traveling a lot more for pleasure, but also meeting with people all over, connecting with people. And so I've started doing that and uh, that's been very valuable for me. So I think that's one from a practical meditation standpoint, just taking time. Before we move on, can you yeah. dive in a little bit on that? Like how long do you spend typically at each energy center? Um, does it matter per se? Is it something like, oh, fucking third eyes lit. I don't even need to stay there. I'm just going to move down <laughs> to the throat, you know? Or And then the second question on that is, if you run into the feeling and you recognize something's not quite where it needs to be and you start focusing more energy there, does that then illuminate what's going on? Does it, does it, does it oftentimes show you where, where, you're, where the trouble is? What's the blockage? What the fucking thing yeah. is that's, that's impeding you? I, I think we can actually feel that. And I think the more we practice this, uh, for example, one general principle I could suggest, which is very universal, is trying to meditate early in the morning when you're in the more sensitive state and uh, or or through the or later at night, but also not being super full of food because obviously if your body's digesting, it's just a little bit harder because that energy has to be focused on the digestive area, right? But so that being said, I uh, tr- just try to focus on each center. So the way that it was described to me from the yogic perspective is that we just want to basically feel there's sort of like a pulsation that we can actually feel, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, let's say on master level, right? We're all on the path, but I've been able to, to sense that feeling, this sort of energy. And I think anybody actually can when they really focus and hone in. So I try to just tune in and just feel, I use sort of imagination. So I imagine like, what would it feel like if my crown was totally open? You know, and I try to just open up to that. Now it might take a long time to get there, like maybe hours. So I, I for me, I do what, what, seems reasonable. So maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, probably not too much less. Sometimes it's less if I'm just trying to go like, okay, what I'll do sometimes at a minimum is if I'm, let's say feeling busy, there's an old, uh, there's an old saying like a a Buddhist saying or something that, uh, you should meditate 20 minutes every day, unless you're really busy, then you should meditate for an hour. And so (laughs) when I'm particularly feeling like I have too much going on, that's when I think maybe I should stay a little bit longer actually, and kind of get over this sense of anxiety or whatever is driving me to, you know, this jitteriness, like I got to go do this and that. Cause whatever I go do from that state, I'm probably not going to do really well, or at least I'll do with that energy. Right. So yeah, I try to go through. And then for example, like if I'm on my throat chakra, I try to think, well, what would it feel like if I really felt like I was ready to go do a great podcast or like ready to go sing a great concert? I love to sing. I love to play my guitar. I brought my guitar just, you know, for fun. Maybe we'll have a jam after for a song or so, but, uh, I know what it feels like when that center's working. And so I thought, okay, well, why don't I just try to get to that feeling? And sometimes I don't get there. Sometimes I do. But I think the effort counts, you know? So even if you don't really get there, the effort has some, you're getting somewhere. 
So yeah, same with the heart. One of the amazing things that, uh, that Joe has exposed a ton of research on is that in the same way that our genitals actually swell with blood when we're aroused and we put our energy and attention in that area and they swell and there's life there and people, you can feel the energy, right? Like, you know, everybody knows that feeling. Well, the same chemicals actually can cause our heart to swell with blood and dilate and- uh, Engorgement. Engorge, engorgement, exactly. And the heart can actually engorge, exactly. (laughs) Get your heart on. So basically that's actually something that's real. And I think everybody's felt that at some point, whether they're like in a way way positively nervous for something, like you just kind of have that, like the butterflies almost. But I think everybody's felt at, at one time or another in their life, their heart being open and- Joe says, well, why not make that a skill? You know, why not make that a skill like anything else that you could train? And I thought that was really cool. So I try to do the same thing for all the centers. And yeah, maybe it's two minutes, right? If it could be just two minutes or one minute all the way down, all the way back up, or even 30 seconds, just five or 10 deep breaths. Well, that'd be like a minute probably, but on each center up and down, or even just three deep breaths, I think that could help people just get into the, the state they want to get into. So that works for me, definitely. And I'm working on practicing that more and more every day. Uh, another meditation that I really like, and uh, well, it's it's just dissolving basically into nothing. Now I have to say, people just have to go to Joe's retreats to experience this, and or go online, purchase one of his courses, purchase one of his uh, you know meditations. Highly recommended. I believe this would be like tuning into potentials uh, would be this one. But That's basically, my favorite. Where he yeah. leads, he leads with like a quick recap on becoming supernatural. Then he has like a seven minute Kundalini breath work where you kegel, hold the hold the belly in breathe up, push through the, the crown, and then it's like 30, 40 minutes of him guiding you? Yeah, so so the, the part that I'm uh, referring to that's my favorite, so there's Dr. Joe's breath, which is not mine to teach. You know, he he, uh, he asked people not to try to teach all his stuff, so that's why I just I can give people a little bit of a summary of my experience, but you know, people can go and, and he, actually they have a course, I think, now that teaches people that breath. Yeah, exactly, kind of like Kegel exercise. But anyway, uh, although it's, it's it different, but there's a sort of similarity there. Uh, the part that I love is this dissolving into nothing. So I was actually doing it in the car on the way over here. I just put in my headphones. I was like, I just want to dissolve into nothing. And yet there's great music playing and it's just sort of letting go of ourselves. So not putting our attention and energy on any particular center, but just actually putting it all on on nothing or space is the term he used to use. And now it's more nothing. Yeah, now it's, it uses nothing in the more updated versions of the meditations. So feel nothing. And I love, I've gained so much benefit from just dissolving into nothing. Cause then I, I'll come back to myself. I notice, and sometimes if I go really deep, I'll come back and it'll feel like I slept, you know, feel like I went to that level where I was totally out because the brainwaves, the brainwaves slow down, you know, to that theta where you're almost asleep. You're kind of in between worlds. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, whoa. And somehow in that process, I find myself able to disentangle from, yeah, the programs, the things that we're attached to. And that that's the the whole idea behind meditation is that we can actually slow down our brain waves as it's been practiced for thousands of years. You slow down your brain waves because when we're in this high beta state, we're reacting to everything in our environment. So beta brain waves were active. We're probably both in beta right now because we're having a conversation. When people get into high beta, we're in absolute fight or flight stress mode. You can't think about anything clearly. And everybody knows that when you're in that state, you're going to say something you regret later. You know, you're going to say that thing you shouldn't have said. So, so slowing down our brainwaves on the other hand is a way to disconnect from that. So when we, when we're stressed, we put all of our attention on something like a threat in the environment or, you know, if you had that, when you had the, uh, you told the story of the super poisonous uh, animal that was right up on you, you're definitely in, yeah, you're in, you're in uh, convergent folks in that moment. Like, okay, 
I better be really present with what's going on right here in the environment. Otherwise I could have an issue. But then when we do the maximal divergent focus, which is putting our attention and energy on everything, nothing specific, but on just actually nothing on space or energy, that's when the brainwaves can actually slow down. And that seems to be the, the scientific basis for meditation. And as the brainwaves slow down from beta down to alpha, that creative state, the daydream state where artists often live and where we are when we're daydreaming, uh, you know, when, when our inner world is more real than our outer world, and then even further down the brainwave scale is theta. And that's where our subconscious world basically dominates. So the subconscious uh, mind is wide open and we're programmable. And that's where they say kids live till they're like five or six. They're just in theta. They're just soaking it all in. And so that's where we can get in meditation. And somehow from my experience, when I've done that and executed it well, I've been able to come back and actually whatever I was worrying about or whatever I was putting my attention on by actually taking my attention off of it, I took my power back. And when we're stressed, we know that it's, at least in my experience, it's so hard. There have been things, issues in work, for example, where I'd put my attention on it for days or weeks. And actually I give it all my attention. I'm giving all my power away to it. And so the the hardest thing, let's say in that moment is to actually just let go of that and take our attention off of it. But that's when we can actually think from a greater level of consciousness. So from, from a meditation standpoint, those are the two most practical things I found. And again, I encourage people because Joe's the one who put the science together, put the work together. People go and actually either purchase the meditations, go to a, do the course, do the, one of the week-long retreats, and they can get that science you know, directly from the source. Anyway, so that's been my experience uh, from, from the meditation perspective. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, got, I took a deep dive right after becoming supernatural into a lot of his online stuff. And even combined a few of the, and I know he's, he doesn't advise to do this, but I combined a few of his guided meditations with ketamine at various doses. And that was fucking game changer, like nothing else. But I think the, as, I, as I started to really dive into meditation with Emily Fletcher, who I think now is doing some partnered work with Dr. Dr. Joe, at least on her entry point, she teaches the three M's, mindfulness, meditation, and manifestation. And, you know, when she gets into the last part of manifestation, it's all Joe's stuff. You know, it's, it's hers too. It's not just Joe's. It's the great teachers yeah. that came before him. Um, uh, but it's, it's fantastic. And I think those pairings, like what she's able to do in, in dropping, using the mantra meditation, which is the very thing I was doing when that snake came, is you, you are dissolving. And I think that that, you know, you can't try to enter the bliss field, as she says, but in doing so, you inevitably enter the bliss field because you fucking dissolve there. You don't try to get there. You just evaporate into it. And um, that can be an addictive thing because it feels fucking awesome to be nothing. It feels awesome to be weightless and not have the experience of a body and just fucking be in, all, in everything. Um, yeah, I've had some some of my most peak, peak, you know, highest peak experience, you know, MDMA, dancing, different things like that. And then just fucking fully dissolved meditating, dead sober, you know, just like, holy shit, that's possible. Like I had no idea that was possible. Yeah. I, for me, it's fascinating. And I, at the, at the moment I'm in a place where I feel, you know, just listening to my heart, I feel called to try to achieve those states through just meditation and see if I, it's hard to have a reference because I haven't done psychedelics, but you get to a state where I'm thinking, okay, this is probably what, you know, some of these mystical experiences, let's say. And and then maybe at that point, I'll have more of an interest to try, for example, some sort of plant medicine journey and and just kind of compare and contrast. But for me, I really want to see 
how I can do that, if I can do that, and I think I can, just how through the meditative practice and see, because you know, great masters have done it throughout history. Um, y- y- what you said made me think of, a, I saw like an Instagram reel from Sadhguru not long ago, and it was just, he said something about each energy center. If your energy's here, you're gonna be focused on you know survival. If here, you're gonna be focused on sensual pleasure, your heart, it's creativity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, your throat, it might be education, speaking, whatever. But then he said from getting from the sixth to the seventh chakra, he called it the pathless path. So it's kind of like you said, you know, you can't necessarily try. It's just, you have to sort of surrender. So for me, the journey's, the journey even evolved because I, I got into Dispense and I had this amazing experience and just felt like I don't want to go back to business as usual. I don't want to go back. You know, inevitably I had after these uh experiences I've, I've gone back to business as usual enough times and that's why I told myself I'm going to keep going back keep going back just to remember to remind myself take time out of my life and remember uh, and then I looked into Yogananda because I had gotten the recommendation of the autobiography of a yogi several times but I hadn't taken the leap let's say and it's a really big book it's many people start reading it don't finish it so I felt like it was my time to check this out and it was recommended to me by a friend who's in the tech world who had a relationship with uh, Steve Jobs' wife because uh, Steve had passed away. But he said, listen, you know, Steve Jobs gave this book out to everybody at his funeral, 500 copies they had for his memorial service with the message, Realize Yourself. And I thought, well, geez, I should probably read this book. It just, not just should, but I wanted to. It felt, it felt like the right time. So I looked into this and have you read the autobiography of Yogi? So it's an amazing book. I think you would love it. And he goes through, so Yogananda is this uh, great master from India. And he started out just as a young kid who just had this sort of pull for God. And in India, God is obviously, uh, I would say, a much much more common concept. You know, there's all these rishis, these great sages and masters who have these abilities and people there know about it. I've talked to many Indian people just in my travels. I was in Australia. I met a, a bunch of Indian people there who they talked about this uh, these mystical experiences and things as if they were just totally normal. And this wasn't a yogi guy who's just a normal guy drinking a glass of wine and so on with a belly and everything. But he was talking about Shakti Pot, which is the experience when the guru sort of blesses the disciple with this cosmic experience just by like, for example, tapping their third eye or just sending the intention and they can send people off into these apparently trip-like states, right? So like a journey. Uh, anyway, so I was reading this book and uh, Yogananda explains how he went searching for his guru. Like he he knew that he would find his guru. And so he met all these different masters with all these powers, but they weren't necessarily his master, the one who was meant to lead him in this lifetime. But the stories he tells are amazing. So the whole book is mostly just stories of all these different masters and monks in India. And of course, to somebody who has a more traditional approach to life, and especially coming from the West, from the US, people would think, there's no way that there could be a guy who can, for example, use the power of his mind and put a scent on any object and it will never lose that scent. Like he could make this remote control smell like roses and it would just not lose the scent of roses until I guess he decided to take it off. It's pretty hard for people to believe. There's, there's a monk, a chapter called The Sleepless Saint of a Master who just basically sits in ecstasy, God communion, samadhi, this cosmic bliss state, super conscious state constantly because he's mastered that through i guess his training i wouldn't come out if i fucking knew how to stay there i mean even it would be a hard draw i think the only thing that could get me out of that state would be my kids Mm -hmm. 
the only thing that would bring me back down back, back to earth would be the grounding cord of fucking kids needing my support. Other yeah. than that, I'd be like, I'm fucking out, dude. Well, this that's is a good, <laughs> good father right there. It's a sign of a good father. So this, this uh, doctor friend of mine, the yogi, he, he had, uh, his name's Balarama, and he had, it's a Hindu name he took, originally Russian, as I mentioned, but he had told me that there are even people who he'll, he'll teach and uh, lead them through the different nutrition and all this stuff and then meditation and so on and get them to a certain level. And they actually get so drunk on this, this sweetness, he'll call it, of, of God, and that they'll even want to leave their families and go be a monk. And he, that's when he says, no, 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 guys, now I reel you back. Like you're in this world to be a family man. And he says, actually, if, if somebody has a family and they go to, they renounce all of that, it's actually from a karmic level, it could be seen as like a, a, the ultimate failure, actually. Like that's our responsibility in this lifetime. And so it, it almost like, in a, I guess, in a way, selfishness in some way. So I think it's, it's really good that you, you acknowledge that, of course. Don't like, do what the Buddha here. did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't think Buddha had kids, right? So, I think he did. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, so it's not my, uh, I'm not thoroughly knowledgeable about the Buddha specifically. Anyway, so the sleepless saint didn't sleep. So like you said, he just, he didn't even sleep. He just was in that ecstatic state. And to me, it makes sense from a biological uh, I should say, bioelectromagnetic perspective, thinking about Becker's work. If we are these beings of light and electromagnetic energy, if we can master tuning into that state where we are basically beyond ourselves and connected to the field, you know, they say it's within us and all around us, this energy that, that is everywhere. If we can connect to that and master that, it would make sense to me that our proteins wouldn't need all the repair that we need when we sleep. Because in the average day, you know, we're wearing down our proteins and everything we need to sleep and repair proteins and mitochondria. If your cells are just gushing with life force energy constantly, I would imagine they just stay in this suspended state of, of clean up, function. detox. It's all fucking all on autopilot. Yeah, it's working. Yeah, it's, it's just working. working. So for me, I think that is a really interesting book. In fact, I know it's an interesting book. I think it's something that could be very interesting for other people. Uh, who who feel the call, right? So looking at this after already having more of a scientific foundation from Dispenza, I just thought, okay, well, this for me is is the path. This is a path I want to pursue and learn more about. And so I've continued to travel. Um, it's kind of a, a long story, but yeah, I've continued to travel. I continue to explore. I just, I feel this call to explore, right? I just got to Austin. I'm like, I love this place. I want to stay here, honestly. But there's still this pull to go overseas and I, th- I don't know exactly why. I imagine one day it'll all make sense. But right off the bat, I can say, speaking about RFK and the stuff he's sharing, and he gave me an understanding just in that podcast with Rogan that I didn't have. Uh, I've always asked the question, wh- why are, just for example, like why are European people so much healthier on the whole? Like there's so much less obesity. It's just unbelievable. Um, really, like you go over there, you don't see a lot of obese people. And here it's like every turn. Right, so there's something different. Uh, why do the why are the people well? As a result, and I think the two must be connected. There's m- many more attractive people, right? Because if you have less sick people, then that if you look at the bell curve of the population, if the U.S.'s curve is shifted where the average is closer towards disease, then you know in Europe the curve is shifted a little bit more towards health. There's going to be more people on that uh, sort of let's say extreme of really healthy, like really good looking, really attractive, fit, vibrant. Not to say that we don't have that in the States. You know, I'm hanging around Barton Springs. There's plenty of beautiful people, but in Europe, it's just like a whole different level. And I'm thinking, 
how different could their lifestyle be? I mean, somebody could make the case that, yeah, their their genes are, you know, sort of pure, so to speak, like they haven't mixed in. So somebody could make a case for that, but I don't really believe in that. I think, I think, on a, I think the mix would be better. You look at I fucking agree, dogs, right? the, the mutt won't die. The purebred fucking has all the issues. Exactly. You know? And that's, so it's, I, the, I bring it up because not that that's what I believe, but somebody could make that case, but I don't believe that. Well, based, you got French paradox. You got a whole bunch of stuff, you know, where you're eating closer to home, whereas we are a hodgepodge of, cultures, which, uh, even though that's available in every major city, um, you know, like I grew up, there was ethnic restaurants everywhere. We had an Indian, large Indian community in Sunnyvale, large, uh, were pockets of different Asian communities in, um, in Cupertino, you know, the Korean bathhouse and, and, and Korean barbecue and, and Chinese restaurants and sushi and fucking Indian and Thai and all this stuff. And it's like, it's not, I, I enjoy those foods. They're fucking phenomenal but that's not what my DNA is designed to eat. You know, like I'll eat it as a cheat meal, but, and, and hopefully if, it, if it's Thai food, it's not going to fuck me up the way Chinese food will. But at the same time, that's not what my body wants. My body wants fucking meat and potatoes and maybe some dairy and fruit and that's it. You know, yeah. like it doesn't want much other than that. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I totally would reject the genetic hypothesis as well. I think that, you know, genetic diversity is generally only advantageous for humans. Um, and there's this whole understanding now in science that, and kind of the, the underlying basis of what we've been talking about this whole time is that we can change the way our genes are expressed. So the genes are kind of like, I, I liken it to a grocery store, right? The genes are a grocery store. There's a lot of different meals you could make from that grocery store, right? You wouldn't blame the grocery store if you had a bad dinner. You'd, you'd blame the person who cooked the dinner, who picked the, the ingredients and didn't cook it well. The genes are this repository of so much information that can be turned on and off in so many different ways. And epigenetics is the science, of course, showing that we can modify our genetic expression. So to me, I'm thinking through the lens of epigenetics, there's got to be something about the United States that's really hindering our population. But it just – I still – until listening to RFK on, on the Rogan podcast, I couldn't – it didn't strike me. And then it just – at one moment when he was speaking, it just struck me. Like we live within this border essentially, and Canada and Mexico are pretty affected by what the United States does, and they have similar rates of obesity and diabetes. In fact, Central America is as well. But you cross the Atlantic, and it's pretty different. Uh, they – again, they're so much healthier, but they don't have the glyphosate issue. They don't have the mercury and vaccine issue. They do have some issues related to these types of things, but not as prominent, right? The telecom is a pretty big issue everywhere. But so the, these are some some factors that I, I believe have a much bigger influence than people think. I mean especially talking about how much mercury is lodged in people's neurons based on the research. I didn't know a lot of that because studying vaccines hasn't been my thing. It's not something I want to get too much into because it's a little bit uh, – a little more than a little bit controversial. But um, I mean I wouldn't mind – I want to know about it for myself. It's not something that I'm particularly – drawn to being like a public educator about. I think there's enough people doing that. I think yeah. I could do more about light, EMFs, et cetera. Well, it is, there yeah. is something there. And I was really happy that, that Bobby Kennedy went down the full rabbit hole on vaccines and not just uh, the mRNA jab, you know, which, which in and of itself has been, uh, the, 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 we let, we let, you know, the, the, the cards have been played and we, you know, we're still figuring out uh, at, at, to what degree was there, malicious intent. And I think, you know, with the Pfizer reports and different things coming out, um, there's a lot that's going to be revealed there, but we know he didn't work. The fact that he went all the way back throughout history, I think was a super important one. And there's a couple books that really shaped my opinion on that. One uh, is called Dissolving Illusions by Dr. Susan Humphreys. It's a phenomenal read. And then two, diving into all of Dr. Thomas Cowan's work long before the pandemic, 
uh, really helped shape our decisions around how we were going to raise our kids. So um, he co-authored a book with Sally Fallon Morell, the, the, the head of the Weston A. Price Foundation, uh, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care. And I absolutely love that. And of course, Thomas Cowan now has resigned as an MD, a 30-year medical doctor, just a fucking genius. So I'm going to get him back on the podcast. Uh, background in anthroposophical medicine, Steiner study, you know, understands uh, uh, biodynamic farming and all sorts of shit all the way down and in between Waldorf education. Uh, and, and he's been a big influence on us as well. Even from like a de-schooling society by Ivan Illich, he gave us that one when he was on the podcast the first time. Phenomenal book on education. So um, there's been enough people for us to, to, to make that question when we had Bear. And there's beyond enough evidence for, for us to say, we're not going to do any of that. And, you know, looking at an eight-year-old and a three-year-old who have perfect health and have never had a single fucking vaccine, there's proof right there, you know? And it's like, well, it's going to cause everyone else to die of polio. Like, no, it's fucking not. Read these books, dude. Polio vaccine came out well after fucking polio's eradication. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating for me. The way he explained it is that, you know, they went to, the manufacturers went to Reagan and said, like, so this is just a, a direct excerpt basically from the podcast, but he said the manufacturers went to Reagan and said, listen, we have $20 of downstream liability for every $1 of profit we're making on the vaccines. And then Reagan said to them, well, why can't you just make a safe vaccine? And they said, well, because, and they went and said, vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And that was written into the law that gave them immunity from uh, all litigation in Congress. And that was upheld, he said, and I think it was called the Brusevitz, Brusewitz, uh Supreme Court ruling upholding that uh, statue. And so anyway, that's what they use. So he said, anybody who's saying that vaccines are safe and effective, they, the industry themselves got immunity by saying, by clarifying they're unavoidably unsafe. And then Rogan jumps in and says, well, wouldn't the argument be that they've saved countless, uh, you know, untold numbers of lives of people? And then he says, yeah, that would be the argument. Um, But the CDC's own data shows that that's not true, or it, it severely challenges that assumption or that idea. So it's very interesting. And I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think people could, there's, there's, there's plenty of information out there. If you just want to dive into it for yourself, rather than don't take my word for it. Don't take fucking Bobby Kennedy's word for it. Absolutely. Uh, Click on the, we'll have all these books linked to in the show notes, but I think that is, that is a big factor. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why uh, you've been vaccinated? Why you're healthy? You know, what's the problem there? And, And really what, what RFK is speaking to is the Dole Act that went through, I think it was, it was decided on and approved in the mid 80s and it went through in 89. So depending on when you were born, you either got 10 vaccines in the course of your childhood or 72. And that 72 is now being added to because even outside of emergency use authorization and there's no longer an emergency, the COVID uh, vaccine is gonna be added to childhood vaccine schedules. So they're gonna move up from 72 before they're 18 years old. And it's, it's I mean, it's comical. It's absolutely comical. The the, the regulation is tied to money. You know, that's, that's all there is to it, you know? And there's absolutely no reason. I mean, he dove into that too on the podcast. There's no reason a kid needs a fucking hepatitis shot within 24 hours of being born. It's fucking absurd. Uh, yeah. Vitamin K, synthetic vitamin K, which is definitely not a good thing. And they talk about this in the Nurturing Traditions book. Why would a kid need vitamin K? The reason Jews waited eight days for the bris to uh, circumcise was because that gave them enough time on mother's milk to build organically vitamin K stores in their body so they could, their penis would blood clot and they wouldn't bleed out from a circumcision. 
you eliminate the eight-day wait, you do it on day one, vitamin K becomes standard, not just for males getting circumcision, but for all kids, male and female, when fucking females have no reason to have that whatsoever. And even if you decide not to circumcise, it's still pushed for. I mean, all this shit just becomes standard and people don't understand where, why it was implemented in the first place. What good does it do? And that's vitamin, synthetic vitamin K. You know, like, I got a problem with that. <laughs> so I got a problem with a lot of the shit that they're doing. I totally. Um, and the pressure of that, you know, we've got a lot of friends that des- decided not to um, have any shots while they were there and said they wanted to do it on their own schedule and fucking child protective services gets called. You know, it's, it's a, it's a thing. There's a medical mafia, you know, like it's not fucking, um, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, uh, it's no longer hyperbole. It's not, you know, me just, you know, going on a rant about this of stuff. Course. Like I have, I've heard from plenty of people about this stuff and, um, it is, you know, I, I love the fact that Bobby Kennedy is getting as much play as he is, whether he makes it in or not. Um, just because, you know, you read the real Anthony Fauci, and, and it's one of those books where you're like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. And, and, and as Rogan said, the fact that he hasn't been sued says a lot. If there was anything incorrect in that book, they'd have fucking got him. And there, you know, he had a team of 27 people, probably higher than that, but really, really rigorously verified every single thing that goes into that book. And the shit you read in that book is mind-blowing. AIDS, all of it, just fucking mind-blowing. It, it's, I'm very, very glad that that was written. I actually haven't read it yet, but I've... I'm very excited oh, buddy, to read it. Oh, yeah. buddy, buddy. Yeah, put yeah. that at the top of your list, yeah, dude. Absolutely. At the top of your list. Yeah, it was funny. He was saying, you know, he said, I don't even want my wife to read it. And I'm like, geez, I mean, I'm, I'm going to read it, but it's it's crazy. It's, it's, it changes so, your view of the world. That's all yeah. there is to it. You know, if I was to put it plainly, it changes your view of the world. And a big struggle for me from the plant medicine side over the last three years is coming to understand the world in the way that I do. Um, and then still grapple with the as above, so below. What does that say about the totality, you know? And then really having to circle back and hone um, my love for this life and the proof of that love as evidence from my family, my friends, the fucking life that I've built, the life that I've manifested and co-authored and co-created, right? That's undeniable as well. I love it. I love it. And actually, I think it's a great way to uh, to turn the conversation as well because in so recently... Um, I heard a podcast with Rick Rubin on his show, Tetragrammaton, interviewing a guy named Andrew Henderson. He sent me this episode. So Rick's a friend of mine, and he was basically saying, you should you should check this out. And I, I saw this name, Andrew Henderson. Who's this guy? And I looked at it, it. This guy started a company called Nomad Capitalist. So he's a very, very intelligent guy from, uh, I think, like Chicago or actually Columbus, Ohio. And he just had this draw to travel the world and explore. And he started thinking, well – why not live abroad? And, and then there's all sorts of tax benefits. And so he created this company, Nomad Capitalist, that actually helps uh, high net worth individuals and so on create ultimate tax structures based on their residencies, citizenships, et cetera. It's interesting. The United States is one of the only countries, along with, I think, North Korea and Eritrea, that taxes you based on citizenship. So even if I moved to Switzerland or the Cayman Islands or the Bahamas and I was living there, they, if I'm not paying any taxes to them, the U.S. would stay you still got to pay us those taxes. But if I'm in Spain where the taxes are higher, I pay Spain and the U.S. is all right, you're good. So as long as you're paying somebody, they don't care. But if you pay anybody less than you would have been paying the U.S., they're going to take the balance. So it's, it's kind of nuts. So the only way to get out of that is either two things. One is go to Puerto Rico and get the exemption, stay there half the year and you pay 4% or renounce your citizenship. 
um, which is something I've actually thought about. But anyway, that's a different conversation. So uh, one of the things Henderson says is like, you know, my friends in the, so he's lived abroad. He renounced his citizenship years ago and he uh, lives abroad in, in Malaysia and all these different places he talks about on that episode. But one of the things he said that really struck me as a very international global guy, I think he's in his forties now, basically is that, you know, he says, I'll speak to my American friends and it seems like there's always something wrong. And he's like, I don't even hear about that where I live. You know, so that point is that me traveling as well, being outside of the US. I was outside of the US just now for 351 days. I just came back and so I was kind of out. You know, I'd, Of course, I hear from people, I hear things, I see things on the news, but I don't actively seek it out. And it struck me when he said that because I felt, yeah, it's kind of true. When I'm out of the US, yeah, the, the world has its challenges in general. And there's certain things you're going to hear about irrespective, like a major shooting or this or that. You know, Somebody will mention it. Uh, or for example, when the, the smoke from Canada was all over the Eastern seaboard, right? But Generally speaking, there's this different energy in a lot of places where people actually seem like in some respects more at peace with their life. Not to say that that doesn't exist in the US, but I thought, how cool is that? That there's actually places where people are just at peace. And that being said, within the US, I think we can choose in some respect our reality, right? We know there's a lot of negative stuff going on. I wouldn't want to encourage anyone to, let's say, deny or totally ignore. But at the same time, I'm entertaining the thought that there's some benefit to being disconnected. Like Tim Ferriss, you know, in the four hour work week, he talks about just not reading the news, right? And uh, I'd actually be curious on your thoughts about how do you balance, you know, kind of staying out and not giving all your attention and energy to the negative stuff going on and appreciating the beauty, you know, the farm, the family, and still being in the know enough to have an impact, help your friends and family, educate those around you. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's really been my alchemy for the last three years has been how do I toggle that? Because there was a point where you could say, you know, I don't want to watch the news. Why don't my parents watch the news? It's nothing but some fucking dude dying and something negative, right? Then the news went to social media and we were already hook, line and sinker for it. So like now I unavoidably in my feed, I fucking see, uh, it's really happened when I was at Saltara, third largest uh, milk distributor in Texas goes up in flames and it's a motherfucking mushroom cloud on video. You know, woke people are writing methane and this, it's like, no, 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 there's no methane there, dude. They just fucking blew up a fucking, and there's 115, uh, 120 now meat or food processing centers in North America that have gone up in flames in the last two years. That's news to me. Why? That's going to affect I us. I know nothing right? about that. Yeah. So that, that's news and it's worth knowing. Um, eventually, the, you know, with the globalization of the world, there is potentially, you know, the, the fact that the whole thing can be affected at once. And that was lockdown, right? The whole world fell into line to try this thing out and the best way they thought possible, whether it was planned or not. And that affected everyone. You know, you, I couldn't go to, I got kicked out of Barton Springs with my son. Um, and we were out in the water and they didn't kick out the guy on the paddleboard. And then I found out about maritime law and a whole bunch of other shit, you know, fucking Commonwealth law. But the cops couldn't kick them off because they were on a, they were sea dwelling, basically. They were on a fucking- In Barton Springs. Yeah, uh, not in the, at the Bark Park side, yeah, right? Yeah, Going yeah, to the Colorado yeah. River. Uh, they were on a body of water and they were on a vehicle on a body of water. So they were cool. And so we bought stand-up paddle boards. That was our fucking workaround. But it was, it's really interesting to have all that unveiled. And, and then how do you balance that? Because I can say fairly certainly that, you know, all rabbit holes are infinite. And if you really go down the rabbit hole of darkness, it, there's no bottom place where it bottoms out and you're like, now nah, I discovered it all. 
Like it just keeps revealing more and more and more. And Charles Eisenstein did the same thing. And it's, um, that's no place to live. It'll destroy you, you know, and it absolutely sucks all, all joy, all hope, all faith out of life. And so the counter for that for me has been a couple of things. One, the agape, the love of my brothers and, and, the, and the love of family, the love of that connection. But it's also been, you know, this last trip to Soltara, it's been a, a reminder of the joy and the sweetness of life, which is participating in that. It's the ecstatic dance. It's the holotropic breath work. It's, um, you know, having fucking Kratom and, and hanging with my friends. It's, it's going out, you know, in the water with my kids. It's doing a little fucking nature walk like we just did and spotting one of the hawks that's or awesome. some of the cool, it, it, being that in tune so cool. with that, right? And I think that's been the, one of the major things. I had a journey uh, with Wachuma, which was very light, but it was very heady and I was very grappling with some of these concepts, you know, like what is the totality? What does it look like? You know, and, and right then I ran into the, the red stag like 20 yards and I was like, oh shit. And then I could see the intelligent design and everything around me, you know, and really feel into the brilliance of what nature is, the brilliance of the intelligent design of the universe and understand like, this is the, this is the harmony that I've been seeking and it's inside me too. But if I'm dwelling on the negative, I'm going to live there, right? I can stay there as long as I fucking want. God says yes to every experience and it'll keep saying yes and it'll keep delivering the same experience as long as I want to hold that experience. So for me, the balance point has been not just in, in balancing my love for family and you know, the, the big key grounding chords that I have, but also in participating in the joy and the bliss of what's available to me right now and, and solving what needs to be solved. Should I prepare for the grid going down? Why not, man? I've got the means. Let's fucking try that. Should I prepare uh, for, for food storage without refrigeration? Sure, we can teach about that shit. That's a good idea. Um, that adds to our education piece at the farm. Let's try that. You know, so there's many, many ways in which I can kind of cover the bases loosely, but mostly it's a, it's a reframe. You know, what do I want to experience in this moment? You know, and if I'm searching for peace, it's probably because I'm fucking taking in a lot of dark shit. I don't watch the fucking news because <laughs> that, for that very reason. So the disconnect, you know, as you talked about and Ferris talked about, the disconnect, um, it's a priority for me to live how I want to live. It's a priority. And that means way less social media. It means, uh, you know, I'll peek my head in there and then fucking, if I get five minutes in, I'm out, you know, it's got to be out quick and I can, there's touch points. And if it's a big thing, like, like, um, you know, the, the food processing plants, I'm going to have a friend talk about it. Uh, Tim Kennedy's a buddy. He was talking about that. Um, and different people will bring it up on different podcasts and I'll look into it, verify it, and then I'll pull back out. I'll chew on that. Like, what does that mean for me? You know, it means I should probably have access to my own food. It means I should know my farmers. It means I should do some little, little extras there where I get connected. The things I've already been doing, you know, going to a bison harvest at Rome Ranch with the Force of Nature guys. Fuck yeah, let me split a half a cow with you. Awesome. Um, and that, that's something I'd do anyways because of the best food that I'm going to feed, you know, my family. That's what Wolf was built on when she was in my wife's womb. Uh, she was built on that bison, the regenerative bison from Rome. So I think um, it's, it's tricky because there's a, a juicy quality to everything, you know? And if, if you're looking for, I think a big, a big problem for people, myself included, is that up until 2020, it was like you're searching for more, something feels off, and then you, somebody points to what's off and you're like, holy shit, that's it. That's, wow, all right, this is way off. And, and um you know, you just can't, you just can't take too long in that space. You have to circle back to why it's beautiful, why it's worth it, what makes it worth it, 
for you. And then finding your purpose in that. Dale Bigtree has been awesome, man. Uh, he did the documentary Vaxxed. He's been on this podcast. He recently went on Aubrey Marcus's podcast. And, you know, one of the things he said is like, there's, there's no, if you're a freedom fighter, if you're somebody who loves humanity, if you're somebody who loves nature, if you love the, the, the sweetness of life and you recognize the beauty in that, there's never been a greater time to be alive. There's never been one that mattered more. There's never been a calling to greatness more than in this moment to speak the truth, to teach the truth, to live the truth. And I think that's a, that's a really powerful you know, calling for many of us. It's like, this shit matters. What I'm saying on this podcast matters. Who I'm educating, how I'm being educated, what am I continuing to do? Which seeds am I planting going forward? They're going to offer a better way forward, you know, and, and really creating. We get to design the more beautiful world. Let's do it. I love that, brother. You know, you say that, and I, I'm thinking, I had the thought not long ago, there's all this sort of super villain-esque figures right now in the world or these types of energies going on. And I just thought to myself, well, and the world just needs more heroes, right? <laughs> that's it. So that, that's really exciting for me. And you mentioned the, the sort of the great going down, I think you said, the, this potential, uh, let's say, collapse or... And I thought about that a lot, like what if the grid goes down and everything, right? And then in the same moment, I just had this thought, well, what about also at the same time preparing for the great going up, you know, like things are lifting up. And that's another thing I've sort of, I've seen and experienced in traveling. There's so many things that to me give hope about the future. For example, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. Uh, some people would say it's a sort of controlled opposition created by the CIA or something like this. And about this, I don't know. Maybe you do, but- uh, I've heard uh, that shit too, but yeah. I got Bitcoin. Yeah. I'm not big into crypto, but I got Bitcoin. Yeah, and I'm not the, I'm, I'm more of the mindset when we talk about Bitcoin of Bitcoin as a really revolutionary technology and all the others, they call them shit coins in the Bitcoin world at least, or altcoins, uh, less uh, profanely. But basically they- are all kind of copycat technologies that are centralized. They're not, you know, Bitcoin's the only truly decentralized cryptocurrency or uh, it was the first, of course, or the first one that took off. And to me, that gives me a lot of hope because if for those who have really studied Bitcoin and I've dove relatively deep into some of the, the technical aspects and the science and the potential, and a lot of people in that world say Bitcoin fixes this, 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 and this. Like people can actually take back their money where the government, the government lives off of basically not only taxation, but off of inflation. So they're basically siphoned. So it's, it's nuts when you think about it. You know, if you're making a lot of money, you're already paying, even if you're not making a lot of money, but if you're making good money, you're paying you know, 35% of your income as taxes. Even people are paying 15, 20%. It's a lot of money, right? And then in addition to that, they're siphoning off the more money from the currency just by printing more of it. So they're taking, I don't know the exact percentages, but uh, with every year they print more money and they printed like trillions, obviously during COVID, they're just devaluing the rest of the currency significantly. I, I read somewhere that just during COVID, they printed something like 50 to 75% of the US dollars ever. They weren't actually printed. They're just numbers in a computer, right? But they created, and that was 50 or 75% of all the US dollars ever created since 1776. So right there, if those numbers are correct, which I believe they are, the, the, the range, I don't have the exact number, but the range is, is uh, accurate. That means that, all of our money went down by something like 30 to 50% in real value terms because they've created such a surplus. Now, how long does that take to actually catch up as far as increasing prices and everything? Because it increases at you know the level of uh, physical goods, like raw materials for manufacturing, et cetera, production. And so eventually those price increases come to the consumer, to us. It just takes time. So people, if people saw the jump in real time, every, there'd be riots in the streets. But so since it's slow... The government lives off of that. With Bitcoin, 
with this kind of this idea at least people control their money the government can't just take it and make make more money for themselves by devaluing everyone else's money it actually gives power back to people so something like bitcoin gives me a lot of hope about humanity uh, the president of el salvador naib bukele what he's doing gives me a lot of hope for humanity there's a great book called the sovereign individual which was recommended to me by a big tech ceo guy and uh, who's who's actually not in that world i think of uh, the control and this and that, but actually is a sort of freedom fighter for humanity. Uh, and anyway, basically said, you know, this is a book you should check out. And I checked it out and it's fascinating. In this book, The Sovereign Individual, they talk about these two authors, talk about how given the some new technology, so encryption technology and digital currency, people actually have the technical means now to make money outside the reach of governments and store their money outside the reach of governments, which has never existed before. So if you worked at a factory in the 1800s or early 1900s, the tax guy would stand at the door at the gates and collect income taxes on the way out. Like that was it. And obviously, you know, he might not have gun, but if you didn't pay, somebody's going to come to your house with a gun. And if you don't pay them, they're going to put you in jail. So it's basically coercion, you know, extraction by force even. So it's like, it is like, so I was telling somebody about this and they said, so it's like, it's like a mafia. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's like, a, it's like a sanctioned mafia. I got to pull, I got to, there's a fucking fantastic book on this subject that Luke Story Please, yeah. put me on to. It's called The Most Dangerous Superstition. Yeah. He just recommended that to me too. And I'm actually uh, reading it now. It is fucking awesome, dude. It is yeah. so good. It's by Larkin Rose. I'm listening to it on Audible. It's read by, by somebody other than the author, but the, the narrator is great. So can you keep going? That's, yeah. so, but that's the idea. So, so when I, I mentioned this, so Bitcoin super promising. So in the sovereign individual, they basically foresee that given – so the way – I mean just at the high level, they explain that uh, all government is, is essentially a monopoly on the use of force. They don't say this ex- exactly, but they say it in similar terms, and this is a very much uh, the mindset behind a lot of the libertarian communities is that government is just uh, – again, and this is Larkin Roses in that world. So they just have a monopoly on the use of force. So like if a police officer – officer pulls a gun on me and then I pull a gun back on him. Like he, according to the structures that have been created, he has the right to shoot me. And that's due to the myth of authority. Exactly. The the myth of authority, (laughs) but that's exactly right. That's the idea. And, and so, um, the, in the book, they explain how technology changes what they call mega politics. So mega politics are the structures that precede politics. Meaning, are you living in a kingdom or a chiefdom or a tribe or a democracy. These are mega political structures. And then politics happen within that. Who's going to be the king? Who's going to be the chief? Who's going to be the Democrats or the Republicans, right? Who's going to control Congress or the Senate? That's all politics. But mega politics are how the structures change. And they explain in the book that mega political structures always change based on technological changes. So it's not like the Democrats or the Republicans can actually change the way mega politics are going. They have no power, no control over that even though people think, some people deep in that world think that we're actually going to create those changes in, in a political way. So for example, when, the, uh, when we were living in tribes, the main technology was basically hunter-gathering. It was like the Stone Age hunter-gathering. So the, the most, uh, let's say, natural form of governance was tribes at the time, and their chiefs and so on. Now, they, they talk a lot about what's called the returns to violence because governments are based on violence, uh, the use of force to extract, for example, taxes. So there was a change in technology. Agriculture came along. And so people actually for the first – well, yeah, pretty much the first time in history had to stay in one place to tend to their crops obviously, and they had to use irrigation or get water from a river. 
And so once you're in one place, you're a sitting duck, of course, for anybody who wants to use force. And so this is the, the original civilizations in Egypt. The governments that basically took over were those who had the monopoly on the use of force in those regions, whoever could can kind of win out over the other people using force and control those people who are actually producing. So like I would say in a sense the good guys are those who are working the land, producing something of value to feed their families and their communities, et cetera. And then these guys with guns – well, then it wasn't guns, but you know what I mean, swords and so on, spears and sticks and arrows they come along and say listen if you don't pay us a third of your grain we're going to cut you off and you're going to starve to death we're going to cut off the irrigation or just basically kill you and so that's how the original governments essentially formed i mean i'm certainly simplifying it but anyway technology shifted to um over time there was the industrial age which is a huge shift so it happened fairly recently and then that changed uh, the mega political structures where the nation state became the most favorable structure. So before the Industrial Revolution, there was a lot more small kingdoms, even in Germany and all these places, it was more kingdoms. And then these states, because then the, the state uh, could only compete with the states around it based on how much power it could amass within its borders. And crazy stuff, I've always been fascinated by languages. And language is super... Uh, fluid, like you cross Europe, there's so many different dialects. You could drive 20 miles and be in a place where they speak a totally different dialect. And so what nation states were incentivized to do was to basically weed out dialects because if you can get everybody speaking the same language, you can control the collective consciousness in that within those borders. Like you would never ever have in Europe prior to nation states, like you cross a border from France and Spain and now they all speak a different language. Like it would have been much more fluid and there were all these different dialects. But so one of the, and this blew my mind because I love languages and I thought about it like this one of the qualities of nation states was to uh, root out other languages so for example francisco franco the dictator of spain for several decades during world war ii they were neutral but he had that kind of control he murdered anybody who spoke basque the basque people or catalan they would kill people just for their language um, because again they, it's kind of a, a way of dissonance anyway so this was fascinating so they explain this in the book they, they go through a lot of it but then the, the biggest shift more recently was from industrial the industrial time, you had a factory, you couldn't run away from the government. They, you're, you have to have a physical place. So the point is technology has changed to, again, encryption technology and digital currency. For example, they predicted digital currency 10 years before Bitcoin even started. And they say it doesn't necessarily matter how long it takes, but the technology has changed, and we're sure that this is going to cause a change in the way the world is organized. And what they anticipated, and this is coming from uh, Bukele and what he's doing in El Salvador, governments eventually, when people wake up to this fact, governments are actually going to have to start competing on fair market terms because there's nothing else where people spend money and they don't get – like for example, if you go went to the grocery store and they charge, try to charge you $100 for a bottle of water, you'd be like, I'm just not going to shop here. But with the government, you don't really – we do now, but previously we didn't have the option to say, well, you want to take 30% of my income? Well, I'm just going to go somewhere else. But now we actually have that ability to do that. And uh, the idea is that governments eventually, when enough people wake up to this reality, are going to have to start competing with one another on fair market terms, just like any other industry. So they're technically, they say, in the industry of protection services. Like that's what mafia is basically. You pay protection money. So, you know, okay, you pay us. We're going to protect you from foreign invaders. We're going to build roads. But I mean, 30 plus percent or 20% plus of anybody's income just to build roads. It's so much money. I mean, everybody knows how inefficient the government is. But Speaking of this book, I've only just started it, but we're all in the belief that we have to support the racket, and that's why the racket exists because everybody still believes they have to support it. Um, anyway, so it's a fascinating book, and the reason I bring it up again about El Salvador is that Bukele's creating this kind of state where it's actually incentivized pe incentivizing people to move there. Um, so I think that's really f the whole point of it behind that is that there's a lot of positive developments in the world that I see happening, and 
uh, you know, and I'm, I'm only clued into a small fraction of them. I've heard there's some amazing stuff happening in the world of energy production, right? Like beyond solar, super, like nanotechnology, amazing stuff. Uh, climate, you know, things to improve. I'm not the, the guy who's going to create a big panic about CO2 and all that. That's not my thing. I'm not, um, I, I'm not inclined to believe that narrative, let's say. Not that we should pollute the environment, though. I'm a fan of, you know, you wouldn't want somebody dumping lead clean near water, you, clean right? Air, clean soil. Right? Yeah. So, so anyway, there's positive stuff happening there. And I think there's a potential that in our lifetime, you know, we make the right decisions. Things could be really good. Yeah, no doubt. I think I think what we're witnessing now is something I, I I brought up on our walk, and then we're at close to one thirty here. So okay, yeah, we'll wrap it so we can get this yeah, run together. Absolutely. Um, Joel Salatin talks about this a lot. A lot of people in the regeneration game. You have life and death, decomposition, regeneration, and that's really yeah. speaking to the cycles of nature, right? Life, death, decomposition, regeneration, and um, you know we we actually can see that, you know, in some level, regeneration in the spring, life in the summer, death in the autumn, decomposition or pause in the winter. And, uh, and the cycle starts over, over and over and over again. We see that in as above, so below. And I think that's what we're witnessing right now on a longer timeline. So it looks like the end of the world. It looks like the apocalypse, but we're witnessing, we're witnessing the death. You know, COVID showed, it showed fucking super well, all the cracks in the system. Um, CRT being taught in fucking public school shows that the death of public school is fucking just imminent. Like it's, it's going to- What does CRT stand for? Just, critical race theory. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Um, which flies right in the face of Martin Luther King Jr.'s teachings, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and uh, Douglas Murray illustrates this perfectly in The Madness of Crowds. Highly recommend that book for people. Um, but we're witnessing this, you know, the death and the decomposition of these things. And if we open our minds and our hearts to what's coming next, that's regeneration. So literally, it's what fucking seeds do we want to plant that replace these systems? And hopefully, we can get parallel systems in place ahead of time. So we're not just dealing with the rubble, but we're actually able to coordinate things that run tandem to the death of these systems. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a holy shit, what do we do now to keep the lights on? What do we do now to put food in our bellies, right? And I think think that is... um, you know, that's really the game we're in right now. And it's a, it's a fascinating time. I agree. I agree. Two, two more things. So one is that I think people listening to this, you know, your audience, my audience, uh, there's this mindset that I have seen. I'm sure you've seen it too. It's this mindset that things are going in a really bad direction, right? It's, it's kind of obvious with everything happening. As you said, it is happening, right? And we, we shouldn't ignore it. But to have this mindset that, yeah, we could actually also be on our way into a golden age. Like we could all be thinking just the thought as Dispenza would say, you just have the thought and the thought starts creating sort of these ripple effects in the quantum field where you can actually bring that reality to you with the strong enough, uh, you know, elevated emotion from your heart, the magnetic, uh, you know, yeah, charge in the field, let's say. So we can actually have more and more people. I think if we have more and more people thinking like, what if, what if the future, just asking the question, what if the future were really bright? Like what, business would I be starting? What industry would I be getting into to build that parallel system? I think that's a, a very powerful thing. And the last thing is I mentioned, I went on this walk, the Camino. So we'll talk about it uh, more in, in detail later in, in a future episode, but I, I did this pilgrimage for those listening 500 plus miles across almost all of Northern Spain. I walked every day for 30 days for about uh, 15 to 18 miles. It was a really amazing experience. And I just, one of the main takeaways in regards to our conversation, I remember walking at one point after leaving the city of Burgos and uh, in Northern Spain, and I was on my way into this region called the Meseta, which is basically 
250, 250 miles or so of just flat fields. So I went from the mountains to La Rioja, surrounded by where the wine comes from, surrounded by vineyards and olive trees. It was like, wow, felt like I was in Tuscany or something. And then after you pass through Burgos, you get to this region called La Meseta, which is just, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to be walking for 14 days through nothing, just wheat fields. <laughs> and I remember leaving the city thinking like, wow, this is going to be quite the trip. But at one moment it struck me, I was like, there is so much space out here. Like, you know, there's this kind of cry of overpopulation and all this stuff. And that's part of that, let's say, new world order type of agenda, like, oh, overpopulation. I'm thinking to myself, if you if you drive by car, you fly, you don't realize how much space there is. If you just walked from Austin to Lockhart, you'd realize how much space there is. And then you walk from Lockhart to Lubbock, you'd be like, okay, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of space on this earth. I, I believe um, what I'm getting at with that is it just opened my mind to the potential that I think we really can create anything like this place, even if some of the world decides to go one direction. I think those who want to create a better world can go another direction. And I, I had a similar thought as I was leaving just from Costa Rica on Monday to fly here. I was thinking to myself, there was a time when the same sun that would, it just struck me, there's the same sun that would rise on Europe and Europeans would have their whole entire universe the same sun would rise six or so hours later over Central America and the Incas, and they lived in a completely different universe under the same sun that was rising over Europe that same morning. And I just thought, that's a trip. Like it was, you know, because they, they live in these different universes in a way, and now we can just hop over in an aluminum can. But so that, that's to say, I think we can create our world the way we want it to be, no matter what. Fuck yeah, brother. Yeah. Well, it's been so, excellent having you, you on, brother. dude. I love you, brother. It's always a fucking blast. Likewise. Um, your company, Raw Optics, is the very best in fucking blue light blocking glasses. You've got some awesome stuff. Uh, you've been a longtime sponsor of the show, so I want to plug you guys. Where can people find you online, and where can people get hooked up with, with the best in blue light technology? Thank you, brother. So rawoptics.com. So yeah, people can purchase our products there, rawoptics.com. And on Instagram, uh, we've recently been putting up a lot of new content there, so raw underscore optics. And then if people want to follow me, it's just the light diet on Instagram. So sort of a diet of focusing more on light and even in the inner light sense. Beautiful, brother. Yeah, thank you so thank much, you, man. man. I appreciate yeah, fuck it. Fuck yeah, brother.